We are live from the great state of Tennessee. I'm your host, Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoid, the podcast where we break down conspiracy theories and unsolved mysteries and separate fact from fiction. So today's story of the week is actually pretty interesting. More chaos to go into 2020. And basically, it has to do with the Navy versus UFOs, basically. So it says, it turned out that there is and has been for many years an ongoing series of incursions into restricted military airspace. It is even claimed that UFOs have hovered over nuclear bases and deactivated the weapons in what people believe is a chilling warning to the human race. In response to this, the Navy issued instructions to its pilots telling them what to do if they instructed encountered a UFO. So these documents are classified, but the Navy has now sent out information to its pilots at nuclear test sites with instructions on what to do if they encounter a UFO. So basically what's been going on is that on these top secret military bases where our nuclear warheads are at, they're being deactivated but they don't see anything flying over it. They don't know why their nuclear stuff is being shut down randomly. So they have, I guess they believe it's from something not from earth. So now they're sending out classified protocols on what to do on these secret spaces. If you encounter UFO, which I would love to read this, like what are you going to tell corporal pork chop to do when he encounters a UFO? More than likely, whatever you give him ain't going to be good enough. But I guess they're doing what they can do. And I guess this is important. This article is from the UK. And I guess basically the, the UK, Great Britain, England, is being kept in the dark. And I guess it's basically they don't like it. It's like the US, USA is basically just doing their own thing and not cooperating says in response to the committee's demand that spy chiefs in the military get to the bottom of the ufo mystery deputy secretary of defense which is this is in the uk authorized the creation of a new group called the unidentified aerial phenomenon task force So they basically are like, well, the USA ain't helping us, so we're going to create our own UFO task force. Um, Also says, there are no details of the shadowy unit that will be made public. So that's basically it on that. Says, what does the United States know about UFOs that the United Kingdom doesn't know? And basically, it just says all this high powered activity suggests that Americans are aware of some profound truth about UFOs, but it is not being shared with allies. The so called special relationship doesn't seem to extend the UFOs, which is unfortunate. And it's actually pretty interesting. Um, it goes on and says, Will Trump reveal the truth? And a bunch of other stuff. So, Basically, in the UK, long story short, other countries, I'm sure UK ain't the only one, pretty sure other probably UN people believe 
that the United States has information about UFOs, but is not sharing it to their allies. And I mean, they're probably right. I mean, yeah, we're going to cooperate when it comes to trade and when it comes to, you know, fighting Russia or stuff like that. But America is a very selfish country. And I don't think they just want to be like, I mean, we're talking about, if we are really talking about UFOs, you probably don't want to share it with everyone. Now, in the grand scheme of things, if it's the Earth versus the aliens, we're all going to be on the same team. But as anybody knows, our not just our country, most countries don't act like that. We're going to do whatever we think is best for our country. So more than likely, if we do know something, yeah, we're not sending an email or telling UK because you never know. The next day, we might be in a war with the UK. Like Allies change. Allies don't last forever. So I really, though technically, like I said, if this is actually a legit thing, we probably should be sharing it with each other. But I don't really blame the U.S. for being stingy if they actually are. So... For those of you that just think I'm crazy screaming that the government knows about UFOs, Great Britain, England, Germany, the UN, other countries also believe this. So it may be time to start getting on this bandwagon with me. I feel like I say this every week, but if you don't know who OJ Simpson is, then you're likely 10 years old or literally been living under a rock. This case was one of the biggest events of the 90s. basically the history of television. This trial changed the way we covered true crime and race relations in general. O.J. Simpson was a star football player at USC in the 1960s and then NFL in the 1970s. He's in both the college football and NFL Hall of Fame. He was loved by just about everyone before this and was one of the biggest personalities in sports. But that all came crashing down in 1994 when his ex-wife and her friend were found dead at their home in Brentwood area of California. He was the only suspect and went on trial that everyone watched very closely. The media was allowed in the courtroom and it gave us access to all the craziness that happened in the trial. After about a year, OJ Simpson was found innocent and the world went crazy. While a lot of people believed he was innocent at the time, as time has gone on, most people have come to accept that he likely was guilty. Crazy enough, he went on to write a book called If I Did It, which definitely does not help his cause at all. But as of 2020, he is still deemed innocent in the court of law, and the case is still considered cold. So let's solve it. Let's say he didn't do it. Then who did? This is the retrial of O.J. Simpson. All right, Mr. Mr. Simpson, would you please stand and face the jury? This is Robertson. Superior Court of California, County of Los Angeles. In the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA097211. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant Orenthal James Simpson not guilty of the crime of murder in violation of Penal Code Section 187A, a felony upon Nicole Brown Simpson, a human being, as charged in count one of the information.
Superior Court of the State of California, County of Los Angeles, in the matter of the people of the State of California versus Orenthal James Simpson. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder in violation of Penal Code Section 187A, a felony upon Ronald Lyle Goldman, a human being, as charged in count two of the information. So if you're one of those few that have no clue about this case, I encourage you to watch the documentaries they have on it. I think they have one on both Netflix and Hulu, kind of similar, a little different. They're really good and go deep in depth about this case. But we got a lot to cover today. So I'm going into this under the assumption that you know the basic knowledge of the case. You don't need to know all the deep details, but know the names and you know the broad details. That'll be good enough. So we can really dig into the good stuff from the beginning. So the biggest conspiracy in all this is that the police headed out for OJ and were purposely doing suspect things to plant the crime on him. And this was giving a gigantic boost because of the racial tension that was going on in the country at the time, especially in the West Coast. Kind of similar to the stuff you see today. There was a huge argument about racism and police brutality and fairness and all that in America. So when the defense used this tactic against the prosecution, a lot of people, primarily black people, jumped on board and believed them. And the police did not help this cause at all. So first, we have what you call the chain of custody. There are strict protocols that are supposed to be followed for crime scene evidence. So when the evidence is found, it's supposed to be properly stored, immediately transported to the lab, and then held until trial. Well, the blood sample that was found at the crime scene was stored in a vial, placed in an officer's pocket, and then never documented. There was a bloody fingerprint at the crime scene that was not immediately collected till the next day. A forensic specialist testified that the blood on OJ's white Bronco looked like it was put there by a, quote, smearing motion and not a splatter or accidental touch. On their second visit... They found blood on the back of the front gate, but allegedly it was still fresh at the time that they found it. Now, to be fair, there is a chance that they just did not follow protocols, but were doing it more out of ignorance than ill will, like not a purpose act of corruption, more just not following the rules. But those that believe the conspiracy believe that this was done deliberately to plant evidence against OJ in the future. In addition, they did not receive a search warrant until 10.45 a.m. the next day, after they had already been on the premises and collecting data for six hours. Now, all of this alone causes you to raise an eyebrow, obviously, but what really took it over the edge was the investigation into Mark Furman. He was the one that found the infamous glove that had OJ's blood on it. Based on where it was, you would think someone would have seen it before him, but apparently he was just such a great investigator, he knew somewhere special to look. But the fact that Furman was the one to find the most incriminating evidence was not good in the long term for the prosecution due to him committing perjury on the stands in regards to him being on tape, making racist comments 
And he said he had not made racist comments in the past 10 years, but somehow he ended up recorded making racist comments in the past couple of years. There hadn't been Mark Furman. This was a case that uh, they could have won. Famed defense attorney Alan Dershowitz was a member of Simpson's dream team. It just, uh, in the minds of the jury, confirmed what we had been trying to prove, that the LAPD commit testifying, that is, that they committed perjury on the witness stand, and that they tampered with evidence. So it was a gift. Instead of Simpson of being convicted, Furman became the only man convicted of a crime arising out of the murders. He was sentenced to three years probation for perjury. Now, once again, keep in mind the craziness of the racial tension that is going on in America. Though his comments do not mean he was corrupt in regards to this exact case, it didn't matter at this point. People on OJ's side were 100% convinced after this that they, specifically him, were out to get him. And apparently the jury did too because he got off completely and is still living his life normal today and is on Twitter posting all kind of crazy stuff. So as you can see, the people that are on OJ's side are not just completely making stuff up. The trial was handed ter ter terribly and it just helped fuel a ton of conspiracy theories, which we will discuss now. Obviously, there's the first and easiest option that OJ really did do it, and all this talking that I'm doing is a waste of time. But again, seeing that the case is still considered cold by the police, why not just take a deeper dive and see if there's anything else to look at? So there's a lot to cover, so I'm not going to really waste time with a bunch of random theories, but if you're interested in digging into the more, there are a bunch, you can Google and go down all those wormholes. So just real quickly, we'll cover, go over a couple of them. Some believe that it was a random act of violence from a stranger, no family member, literally just some random person committing a crime. Others believe that OJ put a hit out on her, and some believe that it was the drug cartel. Now, while that may sound interesting to you, there's really nothing out there to even vaguely support these claims. So I'm not going to waste time talking about them. Like I said, I'm all about conspiracies, but I try to at least give you something that has some kind of, not facts, but information that is true versus just screaming absolute nonsense. So we're not going to really waste time with those. But there is one theory out there that may just convince you or at minimum make you think. And that is OJ's first son, Jason Simpson. Here's the thing. This is 1994, and DNA is still very, very new in the world of crime. Being able to test small blood samples to the accuracy that we can now is barely over a decade old. Back then, they could get fairly close, good, good enough most of the time, but there's still a margin of error that didn't make it 100% accurate. Someone with very similar blood could fall into this margin of error. Someone like a family member. Someone like a son. But there's really no way to know because OJ was the only suspect in this trial. No one was really looked into or had evidence. No one else was really looked into or had evidence taken. If they had even just suspected the son at all, this whole case could have been turned upside down. But this is just the beginning. While the blood gives a small explanation, a deeper dig into Jason really opens your eyes. 
Jason had previously been diagnosed with intermittent rage disorder, commonly known as Jacko and Hyde syndrome, and he was off his medications at the time of the murder. Six months prior, he went to the doctor because he said he was hearing voices in his head. This is important because it is vital that someone like this stays on their meds. Last time he wasn't, he almost killed his ex-girlfriend with a knife. Another time, he physically assaulted his girlfriend. And another time, he chased his boss with a knife. He had actually taken classes for knife fighting and had his eyes on joining the Navy. So as you can see, this guy had some serious problems leading up to this. And something to keep in note, he always had a knife on him during these situations, which was the weapon that was used in this killing. But wait, there's more. He was supposed to see Nicole Simpson that night. He was a chef at a fancy restaurant in town. And on the night of the murder, after a dance recital, Jason had a giant chef's table set up for everybody, all in Nicole's family, and OJ to come and eat at this restaurant. I think it was his first, it was like opening night at that restaurant as a chef. And he like, I think he should think he shut. I can't remember if they shut the whole thing down. But I know they had like a private VIP section. Like this was a big deal he had for them to come in. But for whatever reason, Nicole decided to cancel at the last second and did not show up and uninvited OJ. They instead ate at Mezzaluna. And this is the restaurant where Ron Goldman was the server. No one knows exactly what led to this. Was there an argument or some kind of dispute? Why was OJ uninvited? At this point, the only person that knows is OJ, but we likely will probably never get an answer from him. Seeing that Jason was off his meds, it's possible that after work, he went to her house to confront her. I'm assuming he may have gotten in trouble from his boss or something, seeing that you cut off a whole section and then they basically no call, no show. I mean, on top of being embarrassed, he may actually got in trouble. We don't know. Like I said, we probably will never really know. But he, he may not even have went there to kill her. Now, I mean, he did have a knife, so he probably did. But for all we know, it may have just been a spur of the moment type thing. But one thing or another happened, and something she said, something inside him triggered his jackal and Hyde syndrome, and he snapped. And the thing that's interesting about this is Jason was cleared by the police immediately due to having an alibi. But you dig into his time card situation and realize that this is actually pretty sketchy. The automated time clock was working that day and he used it to clock in. But his clock out time was handwritten by himself as he told the police that the machine was broke. But other employees that worked that day said the time clock was fully functional that day. All day. It never went down. But with the police locked in on OJ, they never dug into this information. In addition, Jason had a storage locker that contained a knife that fit the one used at the scene of the murder. OJ's knife, as shown in the trial, had a blade that did not fit the wounds on the victim. Once again, ignored by the prosecution. Ron Goldman, the server we just talked about, and the other victim in this trial was a black belt in karate with years of experience in technical fighting. He also wasn't like a small guy. 
we have to assume that he put up some kind of fight. And apparently he put up a pretty big fight. When he was found, his hands were severely swollen and bruised, meaning he likely did land some punches on whoever this suspect was that killed him. But when OJ turned himself in, there were no bruises on him or no sign of any kind of scuffle. We have no clue what Jason's body looked like that week because they never looked into him. If they had they looked into him, he probably has some scratches and some punch marks and some bruises on him. Lastly, there's Jason's journal, which was identified by handwriting experts as confirmed as his. There were a lot of letters which he wrote to himself describing his Jacko and Hyde situation. The biggest red flag is the ending of an entry that says, and this is an exact quote, I cut away my problems with the knife. I am tired of being Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde. And if anybody messes with my family, I'll kill them. Now, there are two ways this theory can go. We can give Jason all the blame and OJ is 100% innocent and had nothing to do with it at all. But I tend to believe that while not guilty of the murder, OJ's hands are not clean. Some of the evidence is just too concrete to even deny, regardless of how corrupt the police was or whatever they might have did. Some things are just you can't deny. Such is the fact that some of the footprints at the scene were from a rare collector's item shoe that OJ had, and some of his clothes later had blood on it. So, personally, I do think that he was there, but showed up after the murders. Now, I don't know if Jason called him or if he was going over there anyway, but one way or another, he ended up there and tried to help his son not leave any tracks. Obviously, they had to leave the blood, but as far as any kind of evidence, I think he went there and helped them clear it out. Now, I don't know if OJ either thought that they would never be charged and it would just be a random, so they would, the police would just think it was a random event, or if he thought that he would could take the fall for it and get away with it because he was a big-time celebrity. But he did whatever reason, he did what he thought was necessary to protect his son. And something that's really interesting, which I just learned today, is that the day after the murder and four days before his arrest, OJ hired a top legal attorney named Carl Jones to represent Jason, not himself. So this leads me to believe that he went into this entire situation thinking that his son would be the suspect but not him. But his situation obviously flipped with the whole Bronco situation and the chase down, and he basically just bit the bullet for his son. Now, as far as the glove situation, there is a good chance that OJ really did use this glove to help his son clean, but due to not taking his medications for two weeks, his hands were swollen and trial, and that's what made the glove not fit. But there is also a chance that the gloves were Jason's, as his hands are smaller than his dad's. There's hundreds, tons of different ways that you can move this, picture this, say it happened. But they all lead to the same conclusion. Both OJ and Jason were there that night. 
Interesting enough, one of OJ's friends, Tom Scotto, right before he passed away, said that OJ told him that his son Jason was there that night. But according to Scotto, OJ said that he killed them and that his son showed up afterwards. And while this may as well, might, and probably is true, it does seem like your typical, all right, I'm going to tell the truth, but not the whole truth type situation. He likely wanted to tell his friends some of the truth while still protecting his son. So it seems like he told him kind of like a reverse story, which is pretty easy. It's the same exact story. You just flip the names and tell that story. So it's pretty easy to to do if he if that is actually what he did. So maybe I convinced you. Maybe I didn't. I'm not here to sway you any specific way. You're free to think whatever you want. I just lay out the information and let you come to your own conclusion. I'm sure most of you will probably stick to your OJ did it theory, and that's perfectly fine. You're probably right, most likely. But being who I am, I always have to look at the what if and explore the options that are not so popular. And if you're curious, it seems as if Jason has stayed out of trouble since. He's 50 years old. He lives a quiet life in Georgia out of the spotlight. Regular family, regular job, regular house. But it may be a house with skeletons in the closet. That is it for the retrial of OJ Simpson. Really hope you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully, for sure, you learned something new. As I said, maybe I changed your opinion. Maybe I didn't. Maybe you continue to think I'm the nutcase and I'm just way off on this. You're free to think whatever you want. But, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Patrick Simpson. Would love to hear your thoughts on this case. Maybe you do believe some of the other theories. Maybe there's a theory I didn't even talk about that you believe in. Or if you're just 100% on the OJ Did It train, you can tell me that too. I love the engagement. It's been really good. I've really been appreciating it. DMs, the request. I think this one, I kind of always was going to cover this one, but I, this one was a request a week ago, so I went ahead and did it. So if you've requested something, I haven't done it, stick to it. I'm going to get to all of them. can only do one a week. But your input is greatly appreciated, and I really am considering them all. If you haven't subscribed, you, you can go ahead and subscribe. usually post episodes at the same time every week, but you can get the alerts the moment they come out. If you haven't had a chance to review on Apple or iTunes, I would appreciate you leaving an honest review to help grow the community, help me get seen a little bit faster. And we'll be back next Monday with a very new episode. My name is Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranormal.